Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now this week's message. We got a lot to do in a little bit of time. Uh, I got another email um, from an introvert. <laughs> this is, we're getting it from introverts now. This is not bad stuff. This is great stuff. I'm, I'm loving it. And uh, I love this email from this gal because she talks about the, how the series is challenging her because we're talking about community. Uh, I'll explain that in a minute. But uh, she says, uh, right now I'm really being challenged uh, to figure out what my steps are going forward as an introvert and trying to enter community. And she writes, I'm having a hard time with this one. I'm an introvert by nature, and it takes a lot for me to get out of my own little box. I have connected. I've done Bible studies. She says, I've done a few things like that. Uh, normally, I just say, hey, good talk, uh, and, and I just go, ah, that, but I don't really need to be messing with that. That's what she says sometimes, that that can happen. And she says, today was very different for me. I realized that I uh, show up in some community, but no one really ever gets to know me. So um, you might be in community, but not really experiencing community. I thought that was a great point. Because some of you are closer to community than other people, but you're still not experiencing it. And then she writes, uh, I just keep to myself too much. It's almost like I'm waiting for someone to see me. This is a great line, and I loved it. I'm waiting for someone to see me like God does. And unless that happens, I'm not willing to open up and share. So as I was listening to this talk a second time, I started to think, what part of me in the circuit you described is missing? I feel like I have blocks up on both sides. I'm blocking God's love from smashing into me because I'm afraid of what might happen when others see it. Very honest. I want it, and I want community and fellowship with God and other believers. I just can't figure out how to really allow myself to open up and really be seen. And then, uh, so that's really what she says right there, and I thought that's probably the heart of a number of people in here, introvert or not. Uh, but if you're an introvert, and I was thinking, you know, I responded to her. Let me just say, uh, for, for any command, we, we talked about this a little bit last week. Whenever you hear a command of God that challenges some part of you, it's going to be a struggle. We're talking about eternal reality and experiencing it now. Well, when eternal reality clashes, and very often it clashes with the reality that we live in. We're used to one reality, and when eternity comes in, it clashes with us, and it's painful, and it hurts. And you got to figure a way forward. And I want to tell you, it's not always easy. And I even told her in here, I said, here's a couple of thoughts, but the truth is it's messy, and I don't know exactly what your next step is. All I know is you've got to share this story with someone else in your life, not just me. That you could open it up to me was fantastic. But now you've got to take that story into community. you just you got to risk that. It's risky and it's messy. I love, um, this is one of my favorite illustrations. Years and years ago, I read it. Whenever the, uh, God's reality clashes with yours and you're like, <gasps> and it takes your breath away a little bit, he, he describes it like this. When your faith has to be activated. In other words, when you have to rely on him to do something he wants you to do, even though there's nothing in you that wants to do it. What does that feel like? He says, it's just like a plane that presses at the sound barrier 
and shudders with the impact as it breaks through. Now think about that. The visionary through the visionary through sight of faith takes on itself the crushing weight of the contradictions of reality. There is often a contradiction of reality, what God's asking you to do and what you see yourself being and doing. And then all of a sudden, like a plane about to break the sound barrier, everything in it just starts to shake like this. And every one of us have moments like that when we're, when we're forced to enter God's reality and our faith is shaken to its core. In fact, he writes it like this. Often there is a moment just prior to breakthrough when the pressure is most intense and faith seems to shudder with the strain, threatening even to disintegrate. Have you ever felt like you were just going to completely fall apart if you did something God wanted you to do? When his reality has crashed into yours and you go, I've got to, I've got to cross that barrier, and when you do, it just feels like you're going to disintegrate. That's when you have to rely on him for resources that aren't yours. That's what the spiritual life is about. And you're experiencing eternal living now when you're relying on those resources, entering the reality and purposes and plans and the will and the ways of God in your life, even when you feel like you're going to disintegrate if you do it. I don't know how it's going to look, and it's, it could very well be messy. I can't describe that for each person. But if you're facing it, you're going to have to rely on him for this. And John is trying to get us to, to realize that when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, eternity is already in process. And in fact, in chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, God has made very special arrangements and gone to great lengths to make it possible for humans to receive this eternal life. And I want you to know what it looks like and feels like. I want you to experience it. I want you to be confident in it, and I want you to walk in it. I don't want you waiting till you get to heaven to have it. And he's described that in our text as a kind of fellowship. It's a fellowship. It's a community. Think that's in this text here. We've seen and heard announce that you may have fellowship with us and fellowship. That fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. So whatever eternal living now is, which John has already described and we've looked at numerous times, uh, it fleshes itself out in this word of fellowship, which is a very relational word, highly relational word. And so community, God, He wants you to have assurance and confidence and you can't have it. Listen, John is saying, you can't have that. You can't have the experience with God unless you're in community. And I'm not talking about you just attend a group. I'm talking about there's a dynamic and an exchange, an interchange that happens that assures you that God is in you and God is in who you're interacting with. This is just so fantastic. So, without assessing your community life, John would say, you cannot assess your spiritual life. He might go so far as to say, you don't have one without community life. Now, I know that some of us are far more comfortable believing things. We love to believe stuff. Okay, we even sang a song about it. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the Son of God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. We all love to believe. 
And some of us, truth be told, we relate better to Jesus' teaching than we do to Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me a teaching. But I don't know if I could handle hanging with you for a day. And John is saying, no, he's a person. We saw him. He came. We heard him and we touched him. He walked right into our lives and he changed everything. You got to relate to him. And community is part of this. That word fellowship is designed to show you. Jesus didn't come to bring you a proposition. He brought himself. And John will say this to you. Now, this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, which we all love. We can do that easy. I believe. But then notice what he says. And, this is one commandment. And, love one another. Just as he gave us the commandment. So, you don't get to just believe. You got to love. John says they're inseparable. And if you're trying to just do this one, you know, in other words, if you've subscribed to a religion that just has data, then you've missed it because it's more than that. And the person who keeps his commandments resides in God and God in him. You see that? What are the two commandments? We just saw them. Believe and love. Now, by this we know, there's John's confidence, that God resides in us. Because his spirit produces these two realities. His spirit is producing the belief and it is producing the love. That's that's how it works. So, today we're going to, I just want to look at, uh, I wanted to look at two quick verses. I don't know if I'm going to have the time to do that. this is, the word, this is what we read last week. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God resides in us, and his love is perfected in us. No one has seen God at any time. This is the theme of John's. He's basically saying God's invisible. No one's ever seen him. And by the way, don't try to be the first. Don't be the one who describes your relationship with, God, with an unseen God in some mystical experience, and it's just you and God. John is basically saying the apex of Christianity is not your private experience with God. What you've seen and heard and done. It's making that point right here. Some of the people in, in, the, in his community were having these visions and spiritual experiences. And John is saying, no one has seen God at any time. No one was allowed to see him ever. You're not going to be the first. He says, you want to know what what we need to be doing? If we love one another, then God lives in us. Okay, you haven't seen him, but he's in there. He resides in you. He lives in there. But we have to love one another to recognize that reality. You can't see him. You're not going to see him. And in the context of this, he's saying, don't talk to me about your private experiences with God and leave community out of the picture because he won't let that happen. So some kind, hey, listen, here's the challenge for you today before you leave if you want one. You got to figure out what that means. You mean, if we love one another, what does that mean? Because whatever it means, it doesn't mean showing up to Bible study. 
It doesn't mean being here. It means more than that. Whatever it is, it's critical for me to know that God is inside of me. This is an incredibly profound statement. And John's about essentially saying this, and I hope you hear it. You can't have this confidence without other believers in your life. Do you hear me saying that? Because that's what John would say. You cannot have the confidence that God is in you without other believers in your life. You want to believe stuff? Choke that one down. Because John says, don't tell me about your private relationship with God. When my kids were little, I remember one morning, it was really early in the morning, it was still dark, and I just happened to be sitting in a, in a uh, chair in the living room. It was very early in the morning, no one was around, I just happened to be praying. I don't do that all the time, don't think I'm over spiritual, I just happened to be doing it that day. It's really early in the morning. One of my children, my kids were little, Anthony, my oldest, pitter-patter comes out. I've told you this story before, but it's the one that comes to my mind when I think about this. Pitter-patter come around, and he jumps up in my lap. It's dark. He can't really even see, but somehow he knows I'm in there. And he comes through. The whole thing comes right into my lap, and it's dark. It's pitch black. It's 5 in the morning. And he sits in my lap. And, you know, for a dad with a boy in a onesie, that's just special. Well, just a few seconds later, here comes another one, Eric. Pitter-patter, a little shorter, a little fatter. Little comes and a little walking. Okay, so this one you're nervous about jumping up on you. He comes up, and just before, just before he gets up to me, he's about to crawl up like this. Anthony sticks his hands out like this. He goes, oh, no, baby, this is our me time. And you know what happens in the heart of a father when that happens? Because the father can't compute that. A father cannot compute that because his love for them is, together is so great that the idea that one of them can have this special relationship and the other one can't enter that is unbelievable to him. That's exactly what God is saying here. You can't have me to yourself and push everybody else away. And if that's what your spiritual life looks like right there, John is saying, you do not know the God I'm talking about. You're sitting in somebody's lap. You ought to turn around and look who it is. Because it isn't the God of, it isn't Jesus is God. It isn't Jesus. Can't have this without us. Can't sense God, know him, or see him in others. Love, John says, is perfected. It's perfected in him, in us. This is a profound statement, and it's got, i I gotta, I got to read something to you. Because this is, and as I tried to explain this last week, that means it's completed. That means the love process begins and ends with God. It means it comes from God to me, and then from me to you, and then through you, I experience God again. That's what John is saying. That's how I experience God, is through you. So it just comes full circle. So we talked about a circuit. And if you don't have other people in your life that that, that that love that's coming through you is going to them, then you can't have that confidence that he's there. That's what he's saying. But listen to John stop because he adds this to this. 
I thought it was fantastic. He says, reciprocal Christian love means not only that God lives in us, but also that his love is made complete in us. It would be hard to, <laughs> this is so great, so John Stott, it would, be, it would be hard to exaggerate the greatness of this conception. And I'm sitting there thinking, you're right, this is amazing what he's saying. He says, it's so daring that many commentators have been reluctant to accept it. And I've read a few. Because it's saying this, the whole paragraph is concerned with God's love and we must not stagger at the majesty of the conclusion that John is drawing. And here's what he, write, here's what he basically says. God's love, which originates in himself and was manifested through his son, is not made complete. It's not perfect until it gets in you and you give it to somebody else. That's what he's saying. His love is perfected in us. All this awesome love of God isn't perfected until it's coming, going through you to someone else. That's when God's love is complete. Fantastic. Oh, my goodness. So good. Now, uh, is it? <laughs> All right. Uh, Look, I got 10 minutes. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, so listen to this. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his fellow Christian, he's a liar. And by the way, don't get hate where you're sitting there saying, well, I don't hate anyone. I'm good. I believe and I don't hate. I'm good. No, don't think of hate that way. It's just Semitic. It, when, you're just dealing with, a, if, it's, if, if you're not in community, if you're not doing whatever love means to John, then, then you're in another category altogether. Because the one who does not love his fellow Christian, whom he has seen, here's John back to the visible and invisible, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. Do you hear, John, what he is saying there? Don't tell me about your private, unseen experiences with God, and you can't even love the brother that you do see. In fact, the verb means you always see. He's always right in front of your eyes. You don't love him the way you should, but you talk to me about some relationship you have with an unseen God. Stott says, <laughs> I'll just have to read it. Here's what he writes, and I think it's great. It's obviously easier to love and serve a visible human than an invisible God. That's what John is saying here. And if we fail in the easier task, it is absurd to claim success in the harder. If you fail to love the brother that you can see, you cannot possibly imagine that you're loving the unseen God. This is just amazing. Um, I, have, I was thinking this morning, I don't know why I thought of this. Uh, you know, God's love has broken into reality and come into our hearts. It's starting to transform us. And some of us, you're just not, you're not letting it transform you. And I was thinking, some of us um, are more afraid of gluten than we are God. <laughs> this, this thought hit me this morning. 
Well, whenever I take in gluten, I get bloated. Right? I get bloated. And then I get bloated, and sometimes my stomach really, really hurts because I have an allergy. And so when it comes in there, then I, you know, it slows me down. It makes me feel miserable. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm stuck in one particular room in the house because of it. We all know. I know what happens when I take in gluten. Some of us will take in God, though, and imagine that he doesn't radically transform our lives. That somehow, this is what we say. I, I, I know what happens to me when gluten comes in me. When God comes in me, I can manage him. Him I can manage. He and I have an understanding. We're talking about what John's, this is staggering. God's love has come inside you. You cannot stay the same. You cannot not love. It cannot not go through you. It's got to be completed in the visible. Now, uh, in a very short time, apparently very, very fast, uh, I need to do something with you because I promised you that I would. Um, what does that interaction look like? What is it John is saying I ought to be seeing when I relate to my brother? Because you say, how do I see God? Experience God. And as a result, assured of his presence in me. Well, I've jotted down a bunch of stuff. So this is an experience. This is a page right here, right here, of just my life and community in the last two weeks. Okay, it's just scribble. All right, that I'll try to make some sense of for you. Uh, here's some things I think you ought to experience in community. And they ought to be experiences, not just thoughts. Number one, solidarity. Uh, I'm not the only one. You've got to be close enough to people to know you're not the only one who believes that. You're not the only pe uh, person who wants that. You're not the only person uh, who seeks that. You're not the only person who feels that. You're not the only person with those concerns spiritually in all that way. I've had conversations with people about eternal security, Trinity, and the Scripture all in the last two weeks. In intimate community kind of things, not teaching settings where we're trying to tease out the implications of that for our lives. And if one of us has an idea or a thought that's brand new, we need to be really careful. You can't be the only one holding that view. That's the other side of this. If you're the only one believing that, let community help you. Because there's a problem, usually, if everyone sees it different than you. So solidarity. I want to know people experience what I experience, believe what I believe, that's critical for God, for me to, to know God is in me and God is in you. Got to have it. Number two. The other one I would describe as is partnership. Uh, this one is one of my favorites. Um, so uh, I had uh, breakfast with a guy this week uh, whom I, I just uh, greatly love. And um, he's a pilot. And whenever he flies, he... Uh, he, he looks forward to sharing the gospel, bringing up Christ, getting Christ in the conversation in the cockpit, wherever he's at. I mean, this is, this is what he flies for, he will tell you. And so this week he was flying with a person he never has. And so we're sitting across from each other, we're talking, and he tells me her name. 
and I don't want to say it because I don't know who's hearing stuff, and I don't want her to hear this, but anyway, he says, uh, pray for her. I've been praying for her name all week long since that breakfast because I know he was going to be with her three and a half days. And see what happens is God is doing a work in him. I see it, and I resonate with that work. I know God's in me because my heart's pitter-pattering over something he's doing in you. That's how I know God's in me because I love that you're doing that, and I'm praying for you, and now I've partnered with you in that, that kind of community to where my life isn't just about getting through the day. I got other things. See, what other believers bring to the table is they give you they give you the things you ought to be thinking about in eternal reality other than the things that could just consume our lives. And now I'm partnering with him on that. And I can't wait to hear it. If a conversation came up, how it came up. My heart connects to it. Remember, uh, you ought to read this. I don't have time. I marked it. If, if we'd had time, I'd have read it. But you read Mark 139, or I'm sorry, uh, Luke 139, all the way to verse 45. When Mary and Elizabeth both get a baby at the same time, these two kids, or one's young, one's old, and they know that they're a part of a divine plan that's bigger than they are, one, neither one of them should have a child. Two ends of the reality. Read Mark 139 of what happens when, they, when, they, when Mary runs to get to Elizabeth and they meet. Remember what happens to the babies on, on the inside? They're all leaping and jumping and there's joy. Why? Because you're talking about what God's doing in you and I'm talking about what God's doing in me. And now you ought to feel that. Just like you would feel a baby in you. I think God just kicked. You ever had God kick you? God will kick you. Don't think, he'll punch you right in the eye. All right, that feeling of, oh yeah, I know he's in there because I love what he's doing in you and I see what he's doing in me and that's how I know he's in there. Then another one is, is just utterly challenged. Here's two quick ones for you. Um, so when I'm with... Uh, uh, God's doing some incredible things. If you know Jimmy Bell, he's doing some incredible things in Jimmy Bell's life. And um, one of the things that God has been doing to Jimmy, because Jimmy prayed, I want to have quiet times. I'm just, in a long time, it's been a while since I've had quiet times. Well, Jimmy said he started waking up at like 3 o'clock in the morning. And for the first night, it happened, and he was like, I, I got to get back to bed. That's what we would all think at 3 o'clock in the morning. And then it hit him. He's been praying that God, he'd have a quiet time, and God's waking him up at 3 o'clock. God's been waking him up at 3 o'clock for, for weeks now. And he gets up at 3 o'clock in the morning because he knows God's doing it, and he has a quiet time. And he says, those quiet times have changed my life. You hear that story, and you're like, how much of a meatloaf do you feel like? Because you're not having one. Well, I got to get that extra 15 minutes of sleep because... Uh because if I don't, uh, it's going to be really hard to be on the road. And, you know, and 15 minutes, he's waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning. This must really matter to him. I must, uh, don't you feel like a schmo? Anybody not feel like a schmo right now? Uh, you hear that story and you go, oh, my gosh. I can't wake up. And, you, know what happened? you know what's happened to me over the last two weeks? Literally, the first person I think of when I wake up is Jimmy Bell. It's like, you got to be kidding me. Yes, because I think Jimmy Bell wakes up and the first thing he thinks about He's having a quiet time with God. What do you think that does to me? I've got to have some time with God right now. 
Kirk Nowry's in India, you know, our, our, he just got back from India, he's been there six weeks. He sends me a text message here and there that'll say, really cold, no hot water. Got a new girl today. Shoulder really hurts. Getting sick again. But if you could see, but I'm going to send you a picture of this little girl's face. He sends me a picture of this little girl's face. And he's so thrilled. He's going through hell to minister to those girls. And he won't let me feel sorry for him. And every time I get a text from him, don't you feel like a, you can feel like a schmo again because you're like, here I am worried about nothing. Here I am worried about nothing. And there's that baby kick again. Tell me God's in there and I need to straighten up on some stuff. Something's happened to me over the last, uh, I don't know, six months. It was slow. It was insipid. I didn't realize it was happening. But I'm starting to get my identity in something I was doing. And I didn't recognize that I was putting more of my identity in it than, than I was until it failed. And so Saturday morning, I got up, and I was drinking coffee, and I was by myself, and I was feeling a little self-pity. And, you know, all the pain you feel when, when you rely on something to give you significance, and then you're not that good at it, or it doesn't come through, and you just, your world just shatters a little. It's very subtle. Most of us don't even know that's happening to us until it's broken. So I'm sitting there, and uh, I get a text from one of my other quiet time buddies, and that's Darren Votaw. And here I am sort of, I'm not even thinking the right thoughts about it yet. I'm just sort of wallering in self-pity. And he sends to me a text uh, out of his quiet time. In Psalm 91, he says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And the moment he sent those two texts to me, I literally, literally fell apart on the inside. Because I thought, you know what I've done, God, is I've run into something else for my refuge instead of you. I was looking for something instead of you. And if I'm not trusting you and if you're not my fortress, it's going to come crashing down on me every single time. That's community. That signals God's in there. He made me read Psalm 91, and then I went back and read Psalm 90. Psalm 90 and verse 14 was a great verse, and I think fits with 1 John, verse 14. He says this, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. You want to really be happy? You want to be glad all your days? 
Don't put your trust in anything but God. And make sure your heart is satisfied only with his love and nothing else. Your ultimate satisfaction better come there. Listen, community gave me all those things. You say, well, Pete, you could have asked God for them. You could have had a private experience. Here's God saying, no, I decided to use Darren to talk to Pete about this problem. And you know what? It was a revelation. It was a time for confession. It was a time for God. I'm really sorry I did that again. I had two meetings this week with people um, that were hard relational ones. Very humbling, tears, making up, messes that had to be addressed. Because, you know, some of us, the whole idea of, I was just writing out all the people issues. That, that, you know, we become irritated. We say things like, I always have to initiate. Have you ever said that? I always have to initiate. I always have to do everything. I always have to host. I'm always the one serving. or your feelings are hurt, or you got to manage your emotions, or you got to give up your rights, or you got to do something you didn't really want to do, but you're going to do it kind of a thing, or you got to put up with each other. That's, that's the mess of relationship. And according to John, whatever it means to love your brother, the interactions of all of those constantly repairing, listen, in a relationship, probably every single one of us here got repairing to do all the time in relationships. Those are holy, sacred moments that will tell you more about you than anything else in your life. Don't tell me anything about your spiritual life except for how you're handling the mess of one of your relationships. And that'll be the greatest window into your heart. And whether or not God is there. Because all of a sudden, not only is my community healthier. I have just seen God in ways that I have not seen him without those people. I could never see him. And my heart goes pitter-patter because I'm connected to all of those things. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden in a moment, I wrote this down this morning. I don't want to, I want to say it just like this as I close this. Our interactions become holy and sacred moments that allow me to experience God and allow my life to take on the quality of eternity as the Spirit connects me to God's purposes in the world. Because in every one of those encounters, what God wants is more important than what I want in every single one of those encounters. And when I rely on him, because some of the things that I've learned or see or that I need to do or deal with force me to rely on him because I cannot do them by myself. When I, and then listen, that is the key statement. You will have to rely on him to come out of your shell and be what he wants you to be. Yes, but you're not living eternal. You're not living eternally unless you're relying on him to do it. It's not a reality you can do without him. So when I rely on him to do and be what he wants, as Dallas Willard puts it, and it's my favorite line, I love it, he says, my actions and deeds become an element of God's eternal history. 
in all of those moments, as God works in me and through me, in the exchanges, my life begins to take on what is an eternal reality as I see what he wants and what he wants me to be thinking about, what he wants me to be trusting in, what he wants me to do, what he wants, not just getting up every day and living a life, a normal life. But only in community can all those things happen. It's as if God is saying, how can you say you relate to me when I'm trying to relate to you through them? I've given you visible ways to relate to me, and you keep counting on the ones that you can't see. How convenient. All right, how long could we go? We could go forever, right? We could go forever. I need to shuddy. I need to shuddy. How many of you are convicted right now about something? Let me, hear, let me just see your hands. I want to see it. I want to see the Holy Spirit kicking somebody today. All right. Hey, listen. Don't tell me what you believe today. I know what you believe. The Holy Spirit would say, tell me what you're going to do. Because I just kicked. Father, we receive this word. And today we confess we are going to rely upon you to see it come to fruition in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.